Um, okay. Um, Daria, could you get the door? Oh, but see, I have his headphones in. Bluetooth caps. You could really have a good good time in class, and no one would know that you were listening to music. I was saying Bluetooth headphones, cap on your head. You can have a really good time in class, and no one would know you're listening to music, right? Oh, no, no, I know. I'm just teasing. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay, um, Dario, you're here. Um, Joseph, you're not. Oh, whoa. Yeah, this is my first day. I'm Oh, okay. Dario always sits there, and you look like him. You're. Oh, and you emailed me, right? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Lorenzo, hi, welcome. Okay, um, Dario, you're not here. Um, Joseph, you're not here. Abigail, you are here. Um, Noah. Yeah. Uh, Nicole. Uh, Connie. Um, Emma. Uh, oh, yes, there you are, Lorenzo. Okay, Joseph, hello. Um, Ian is not here. Jimmy G just walked in. Ian is here. Um, where did Jimmy go? Okay. Um, Aria, not here. Matthew, got you. Prue, yes. Um, Darhan, um, Andrea, you just walked in. Um, Onur, um, Gabby, uh, Lin Fei, and Angela. Okay, anyone I didn't call? Okay, uh, I think this all makes sense. Um, so, Lorenzo, do you want to, um, I think I didn't get back to you, um, because it was really late at night when I got your email. Um, do you want to, can you come to my office hours? Um, okay, so uh, they're like at 12.30 today, or um, does that work, 12.30 to 2? Okay, good. Um, Aria? All right. Got one person right. Um, oh, yes, and I have to do that thing, too. Okay, so um, let's go back to where we were yesterday, um, which was looking at Aristotle. Um, and again, what we were doing was, um, so do you guys have it, the Aristotle, with you? I know you have it somewhere. Um, you should have it on paper if you can. Um, part of this class, because it's about money, is also about hypocrisy. Um, so I get to use electronic devices, but you really shouldn't. Um, and... Um, so if so, if you have it on paper um, today, that would be good. If not, in the future, bring it in on paper. Um, so what we were looking at looking at yesterday was Aristotle talking about the difference between what has come to be called use value and exchange value. That is two different values. Um, for um, what he says is. Um, not necessarily money, but for commodities. So um, the particular thing that we were looking at yesterday is um, that um, there is the idea that there's stuff that you can use and that you use for your household 
um, uh, management. And what's the word for household management in Greek? Or what English word comes from the word for household management in Greek? Economy. Um, oikonomos, that is the rule of the house. The house rules is really what oikonomos means, or it's one way of, um, of translating it. And that's where we get our word economy. And economy there means how to manage a household. Um, and then there is um, a limit to how many eggs you can eat, for example, um, how many um, glasses of milk you can drink, how many blankets you need, no matter how cold it is, how many air conditioners you need, no matter how hot it is, and so on. Um, so there's a natural limit to what is then called utility or use or another word for it in um, modern um, economic discourse, does anyone know? Utility is one um, really important word, but there's a less, a somewhat less broad word, um, which has to do with um, what is valuable for a household, or we would now say for an end user. Anyone know what it is? Well, resources can be can be infinite or can seem infinite. Um, it's this is not on the um, side of production where there are potentially infinite resources. We'll never run out of sunlight, for example, um, and so sunlight is a potentially infinite resource. Um, but this is not on the side of production, but on the other side. How many eggs? How much of that resource can be used? Yes. Um, benefits can also be um, unlimited. That is, um, you could, if you want money and you see money as a benefit, then um, the more the better. Um, but this is something other than money. This is what households can, be, can put to use rather than um, what um, they can amass um, in as great quantities and limitless quantities if they could. Um, well, so products are what are used, um, but the um, sorry, I don't mean I don't mean to make this so so hard, but there are a whole lot of economic um, um, there's a lot of economic vocabulary that we're going to delve into a little bit in this class. Not a lot, but there are a few basic um, words that you all know but maybe don't think about quite enough and that we're going to, um, and I mean people in general don't think about them quite enough, but we're going to put them together. What's the opposite of production? Consumption. consumption. So consumption is use. That is that if you have eggs in the fridge and you eat them because you're an ovo-lacto-vegetarian, um, and if you have eggs in the fridge and you eat them, you consume them until um, you couldn't possibly eat another egg, and then consumption of, in your house of those eggs will come to an end. Or if everyone in your house is sick of eggs, then um, more eggs isn't more value. And that's the important thing, is that, more, is that um, for use value, use value is what's used for consumption. Um, that's simplifying a little bit because you can also use things to um, um, uh, reinvest them into more production. That is, let's say you're a farmer, you'll eat some of the eggs and you'll let some of the eggs hatch um, to produce chickens and then you'll eat the chickens. Um, and let some of the chickens live to produce more eggs. But if you're living on your own, like Robinson Crusoe, 
Um, how many people have read or seen, we're going to read a Defoe novel, but not that one, um, but how many people have read or seen or know the story of Robinson Crusoe? Um, so what's the story in a nutshell? tried to go on like a boat to try and go for an investment opportunity because he's kind of running away from home and then the boat like crashes in the ocean and he ends up stranded on the shore and then he kind of lives alone on an island for a while eventually spoiler gets like rescued and then goes back and he finds out oh the businesses that he had before he went on the boat did really well and now he has so much money and so much of everything and he's like rich now yeah, but on the island, what, what everyone is fascinated by is what he does on the island, which is that he takes um, what he can from the, from the ship that's been wrecked, um, and he lives on the island, and there's no one to trade with. Um, and so what he's doing is he is um, everything that he produces, he consumes. And he doesn't produce anything that um, he's not going to consume. Things go wrong, there's loss, there's erosion. Um, but the point is that he's completely self-efficient. And when you're self-sufficient, and when you're self-sufficient, um, then producing much more than you need, sure, you want a margin. Um, if you really like eggs and if you think you can eat 10 eggs, you'll buy a dozen eggs because you might drop two of them or two of them might crack or two of them might be rotten. But um, basically, he, there's no point in producing, there's no point in his producing more than he can consume. So eggs are valuable until they're not valuable anymore. And they're not valuable when they're just going to spoil because he can't eat the eggs. Um, so... That is what Aristotle calls household um, riches. That is what works for the household, what the household needs, and that is um, limited. Um, if, on the other hand, what you do is you produce a lot of eggs because you're going to trade them with, uh, to other people, non-egg producing people, um, who want eggs for the stuff that they do produce, then the more eggs that you produce, the more people you can offer eggs to for the stuff that they produce. So let's say you um, produce a bunch of eggs, more than you can possibly eat, and there's someone who produces chocolate, and they want some eggs, and they have more chocolate than they can possibly eat, so you give them some of your eggs, and they give you some of their chocolate, and everyone is happy. And then let's say chocolate and eggs isn't enough for you, but you also want a flat-screen TV. So you go to someone who has more flat-screen TVs in their house than they can possibly use, and you trade your extra eggs, a lot of them, for a flat-screen TV, and now you have a flat-screen TV. So you can just be producing many, many, many more eggs than you can consume. Um, and therefore, you're producing them not for their use value, but for their value in exchange, their exchange value. Um, the value that you can um, um, trade them for that other people are making stuff um, that they have more than they need. Um, so there's, uh, we're going to read um, the philosopher later on in this class. We're going to read the philosopher, um, Georges Zimmel. Um, Zimmel has a great definition of exchange, which is what, or, um, which is what barter is and what um, all 
um, economic life is, is trading things. That's why we call it trade. Um, when you talk about a free trade agreement, it means that people can trade with others for whatever anyone wants to trade. Um, so that's another crucial word, is the word trade. Um, trade is what you do with trading cards. Uh, did you guys do that with, like, um, Pokemon cards or Magic the Gathering cards when you were kids? Or probably still do, some of you? Um, yeah, so if you, have, if you have extras of one really valuable Magic card, what are you going to do with the extra? <laughs> Good. Um, for what? The person that you traded Sorry? Do you like normally play the person that you trade? Okay, with? don't go that's a really good question. It's do you sell do you sell weapons to your enemies, right? Um, the answer is yeah, we sell do. Sell it on eBay. Yeah, yeah, now you can sell it on eBay. Um, but if you're okay, so Pokemon cards when you are in first grade. Um, so if you have extra Pokemon cards, you trade them um, for cards that you don't have to someone who doesn't have the card that you do have, right? So my favorite is Kingler, right? Everyone's favorite? No? No? I could peek at you. Um, my favorite is Kingler because I think that it's based on King Lear by William Shakespeare. So that's why I really like Kingler. No one else likes Kingler. Most people don't know that Kingler is even a Pokemon bro. Um, do you even Kingler bro? Um, so... Um, I have extra Kinglers, someone else has um, extra Pikachus, and I don't have one, so I give four Kinglers, which I have, um, for one Pikachu. Now, why would someone want four Kinglers? Because they could then trade Kinglers to someone else. Um, so in that case, I have more than I need, um, and they have more than they need of something else. So these no longer have use value to me, but they do have exchange value because I can get something from them that, um, by, by trading them for something that I can use. So trade among first graders of Pokemon cards and trade among nations of oil for weapons, it's the same sort of thing. Saudi Arabia has more oil than it knows what to do with, except the one thing it can do with it is it can sell it. It can't use all the oil it has, but it can sell most of the oil it has. Um, so it can't consume that oil, but it can sell it to um, other countries, other entities that don't have as much oil as they need. Um, but those other countries or entities can produce other goods, um, farm goods, for example, that Saudi Arabia can't grow in the Saudi climate. So there's trade. And it's if you have more than you need, you can trade it to other people who have less than they need of what you have. And they will give you what they have, which is more than they need, for what you have, which is more than they need. So Zimmel, in his little essay on exchange or trade, um, defines exchange as a relationship or an interaction in which, and this is his one-liner, each gets more than he gives. So the thing about exchange is it's a situation in which the two people who are trading both come out ahead. It's not a zero-sum game, to use a, um, a term from game theory that I'm sure you all know, but that we'll go um, into a little bit more later. It's not a zero-sum game. 
um, in trade, both parties get more than they give. So you can't use, um, it, it's not, um, simple algebra won't tell you what's happening in a trade. You can't um, subtract, uh, if you subtract 8 from the left side of the equation, um, then you don't subtract 8 from the right side of the equation. Also, um, you might add 8 to the right side of the equation instead. Um, so each gets more than they give. And that is the way exchange value works, because what you're getting is something that you can consume. What you're giving is something that is beyond what you can consume. It's more than you're capable of consuming. So it's valueless to you for consumption, but you can trade it. And you trade it for something that you can consume to someone who can consume what you're trading to them. Okay, makes sense, everyone? All right, so that is what Aristotle is talking about. And he says, um, this is again in part nine, um, which is that there's the art of acquisition, which is wealth getting. And then he goes on, um, of everything which we possess, there are two uses. Both belong to the thing as such, but not in the same manner. For one is the proper and the other the improper or secondary use of it. So everything has two uses, the proper and the improper use. Did you guys ever hear those riddles about um, how different scientists um, solve problems? Um, so one of my favorites is how do you um, figure out the height of a building with a barometer? Anyone know? Really? No? Do you know how altimeters work? How planes know how high they are? How do they work, Ian? Um, it's, I'm not entirely sure, like, the mechanics of it, but it measures the air pressure around mm -hmm. it, as, and air pressure decreases the higher you go. Yeah, so air pressure decreases linearly, as we say, um, with altitude. Actually, I'm not sure it is linear. But at any rate, there's an easy equation that can tell you um, from a change in air pressure um, when there isn't an outside change. It's not that the air pressure is changing because of the weather. It's just the higher you go, the thinner the air, and um, the lower um, the pressure the barometer will register. So if you know the equation, you take the um, air pressure at the bottom of the building, you take the air pressure at the top of the building, and um, you then can figure out the height of the building by um, looking at the air pressure. So that's how a meteorologist does it. Um, how would a physicist do it? Drop a ball. You drop the barometer. You have to measure oh, it with a barometer. Yeah. Oh. So you go to the top of the building, you drop the barometer, and see how long it takes to go slap. On the, on the ground, and then you can figure out how tall the building is by seeing how long it takes to fall. Um, how would a geometrician do it? Triangles. Yeah, would measure the height of the barometer and um, then put it, um, would use trigonometry by looking at the length of the shadow the barometer cast and the length of the shadow that the building cast and then could figure out how many um, times the height of the barometer the height of the building was. Um, how would an economist do it? The economist goes to the building manager and says, if you tell me the height of your building, 
I will give you this barometer. And so they both come out ahead. The building manager loses nothing by telling the height of the building. Um, and the guy who wants to know the height of the building gets his answer, and he doesn't care about barometers, obviously. Otherwise, he would have done it the barometer way, which is by measuring air pressure. Um, so there are proper and improper uses. That's Aristotle's point. Uh, the proper use is to use the barometer to measure air pressure. It matters that it's a barometer. The improper use is to figure out some other way to do it. And the economist's way is the improper use is to treat the barometer as something which has value to others. And that's the crucial point. If something has value to you, that's its use value. If it has value to others, if that's what matters, that's its exchange value. Um, so Aristotle says, of everything which we possess, there are two uses. Both belong to the thing as such, but not in the same manner, for one is the proper and the other the improper or secondary use of it. For example, a shoe is used for wear and is used for exchange. Both are uses of the shoe. He who gives a shoe in exchange for money or food to him who wants one does indeed use the shoe as a shoe. That is, he's giving an actual shoe. So he's using it as a shoe. But this is not its proper or primary purpose, <coughs> for a shoe is not made to be an object of barter. Now, as we know right now, it is. Um, that's what we talked about yesterday, but that's, um, it can only be an object of barter if it has a proper use. Um, it can't be an object of barter um, if it doesn't have some use other than being an object of barter. That's what Aristotle is saying. The same may be said of all possessions, for the art of exchange extends to all of them, and it arises at first from what is natural, from the circumstances that some have too little others too much. Um, so that's the crucial thing. That's what we were saying before, that if you have too little of something, then you can consume more of it. If you have too much of it, you don't need it, and so you'll trade it to someone who has too little of it. Um, and so this is Aristotle's reconstruction of um, how barter works, why barter works, why people barter, why people don't just take care of themselves, but why they trade with others, why they interact with others. Um, so, so far, what he hasn't talked about is money itself. He's talked about exchange value, but he hasn't talked about money itself. Um, but then he starts wondering, so where does money itself come from? And his answer is that it comes from countries that are trading with each other. Um, because then trade got sufficiently complex, and it wasn't simply um, one person trading um, with a partner who traded back. But what you have is a whole lot of goods in a really complex circulation where um, I may have extra shoes and um, you may want those extra shoes, not because you are short of shoes, but because you know someone who will give you 
the um, notebook paper that you want in exchange for shoes. Um, and so you'll want my extra shoes, and you may have extra eggs, and I may not want those extra eggs because I have just enough eggs for myself, but I can use those eggs to get an iPhone from someone who has extra iPhones but doesn't have enough eggs. Um, so once it doesn't become binary trading, once it's not you tell me the height of your building and I'll give you a barometer. But once it becomes, um, people have a sense that they can use these extra things not for consumption, but for further trade. Once that starts happening, and that happens when nations trade with each other, you need something like money. Um, it turns out, do you guys know what commodities futures are? What are they? They're like, like you're trading in stuff like oranges and stuff like that. Like oranges and um, wool, mm -hmm. uh, corn, different like resources like that. Yeah, and what are futures? Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, the, the famous one that, that everyone um, sits up and takes notice of are pork belly futures. Um, so the way it works is if you think the price of a commodity that people want, like oranges, you said, or pork bellies or whatever, if people think the prices are going to go up, then what they do is they can um, pay money to buy that commodity in the future at a price that is agreed upon now. So if you, this, this actually happened to me, and I kind of got, well, I didn't get rooked, but um, I kind of did, um, which is I was renting an apartment in Paris, and um, the person I was renting it from um, said that she would take the money in either euros or dollars. And then the euro started crashing um, when I was there. Um, so I said, uh, which meant I could buy more dollars with the euro. Um, I mean, sorry, I could buy more euros with the dollar. Um, so I said, look, I'm just going to pay you in euros now if that's okay. And she said, no, 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 we had an agreement. Just pay on the first of the month and not an instant before. Because what she was hoping, and she was right, was that the euro would go up again. She lived in the U.S., so she wanted as many dollars as possible. She was hoping that the euro, after crashing, would bounce back. Um, and that if I paid in euros, um, she'd get more dollars out of it. Um, whereas I was hoping to pay when I could buy a lot of euros cheaply and pay her right then. So the euro did bounce back, and, um, and she made money, and I didn't. It was okay. It wasn't a big deal. You don't have to pity me. I know you want to, but you don't have to. Um, but that's what a future is. A future is if you expect that the price of something is going to rise, then you agree with someone who doesn't expect that, who in fact expects the price of something to fall, then you agree with them to buy that thing from them at a price that you determine now. So if you think there's going to, if you think there's going to be a shortage of oranges, and oranges are now a um, dollar fifty-nine a pound, um, but you think that there's going to be a shortage. You guys all know there's going to be a shortage of bananas, right? Is this something people know about? Um, that there's this disease that's slowly spreading across um, 
Um, uh, I think it's a banana virus that's spreading across banana-producing regions, and um, so far they haven't figured out how to breed um, an immune banana. Um, so eventually the price of bananas are going to rise. Now, let's say you believe in science and you don't think that's going to happen. That is, that scientists are going to figure out a way to stop this disease. So I may think the bananas are going to be $10 a pound in 10 years. And you may think, um, no, bananas are actually going to be cheaper in 10 years than they are now because once they figure out how to breed a better banana, um, bananas will grow everywhere and they'll be a lot cheaper. So we agree that in 10 years, I will pay $5 a pound for bananas because I think they're going to cost $10 a pound and I'll be able to make $5 a pound profit on all the bananas that I buy at $5 a pound. You think they're going to go down to 50 cents a pound. So if I agree to buy bananas at $5 a pound, you are going to be making a whole lot of money when I have to pay $5 a pound for 50 cents a pound bananas. It's like buying something at the used store instead of down the hill. Um, you're gonna, there's a whole, there's a giant um, difference in the price that it's going to cost. So futures, if you buy futures, you're betting on um, the way the price of a commodity will go. It'll either get more expensive, um, and if you buy a future, you think it'll be more expensive. If you sell a future, you think it'll be less expensive in the future. Um, and so it's a difference in judgment that causes people to um, um, decide these things. Now, the thing about, and this is, this is a notorious thing that happened in the 19th century, um, it turned out that trade in futures in commodities in, um, in the United States in like the 1870s, um, that more corn and more pork bellies and more oranges and more um, pork and more beef and more of all the things that their commodity futures were bought and sold in the futures exchanges by a rate of about 20 times as much of these commodities actually um, existed. So that something like, let's say, a billion pounds of pork was bought and sold, and yet there was only 10 million pounds of pork in existence. So how did a billion pounds of this product, of which there was only 10 million um, pounds in existence, how could a billion pounds be bought and sold? Yeah. And if the same pound is bought and then sold again, yeah. and then sold again, it counts double for right. however many times. Right. And what that means is that no one is buying it for use. If it's bought and then sold again to someone who buys it and then sells it to someone else who buys it and then sells it, um, that happens so often that it's clear that no one is buying it to consume it because everyone is buying it or most people are buying it only in order to sell it. Does that make sense to people? Um, so if you're buying in order to sell, that's what retail stores do. That's fine. Um, a retail store buys from a wholesaler. The wholesaler produces some oranges and sells them to the retail store at a dollar a pound, and the retail store sells them to you at a dollar twenty a pound, and then you eat them, and there are no more oranges for you to sell. 
But in this case, it's as though someone was buying them at a dollar a pound and then selling them at a dollar five a pound to someone who was buying them at a dollar five a pound and then selling them at a dollar ten a pound to someone who bought them at a dollar ten a pound, who then saw that they were for sale elsewhere at a dollar five a pound and realized they better get rid of these oranges because um, they were cheaper than they thought they were going to be. So they sell them at a dollar four a pound to someone who thought that's a good deal compared to a dollar five a pound, I can sell this for a dollar four fifty a pound, and it just goes on and on, and no one is eating the oranges. Um, so that means that everyone is buying only in order to sell. And so there's um, it's a notorious fact that the worst thing that can happen to you if you're a commodities trader, it's like a joke among commodities traders. The punchline is always the same. Um, is that you take delivery of the commodities. If the commodities are actually shipped to you, you're screwed. Because the whole idea is to buy the commodities not because you want them in your house, in your household, in your life, but because you want to be able to sell them. The only reason in commodities exchanges for most people to be buying is in order to sell and not in order to keep them. Um, so the commodities... I guess they have a sense of humor, but the punchline of their jokes is always, and then he took delivery of 600,000 pounds of pork bellies. Um, so what are you going to do with 600,000 pounds of pork bellies? It's a disaster. Um, so no one who buy, or almost no one who buys commodities keeps them. And almost no one who buys commodities actually touches the commodities that they buy. Um, they're never in the possession. They're only... Um, in the paper possession, only the person who buys commodities has title to those commodities, but they want to sell that title. They don't want to keep it. Recently, this is like flipping real estate. Um, if you saw the big short, um, that the idea is you buy houses in order to sell them, and the worst thing that can happen is if you buy a house and you have to keep it, um, and that's what caused the real estate crash and the whole 2008 um, crash um, and, um, and recession, um, the severe recession in 2008, is that people were flipping houses. And what they were doing in the 19th century was flipping, and they still do, is flipping commodities. Um, you don't want the commodities. And so that's the improper use. The object matters. It has to have a use value. Someone has to want to eat pork bellies. Someone has to want to drink orange juice. And you think that eventually, it's like a game of musical chairs. Um, eventually, someone will get the orange juice and keep it. Um, but you don't want to be the person who does it if you are making money on the futures exchange. All you want those commodities for, you only buy them in order to sell them. So that's what Aristotle is already describing in the 4th century BCE. Um, that there's a proper and an improper use, and the proper use is um, consumption, and the improper use, the secondary use. He doesn't mean improper as an evil. He just means um, it's not something that belongs particularly to this commodity. Um, the proper use of a shoe is different from the proper use of a guitar. Um, you don't walk around in the snow on your guitars. And um, most of the time, you don't play music on your shoe. Some people do, but they're weird. Um, so 
the improper use of something like a guitar or a shoe is not to wear it, but to sell it. And it's there, it doesn't matter to you whether you have a lot of guitars when people want guitars or whether you have a lot of shoes when people want shoes. Um, all you care about is that you have something that people want. And if in one year people want guitars, then you, then you try to get a lot of guitars to sell them. If in another year people want shoes, then you try to get a lot of shoes to sell them. Um, in both cases, for you, the only thing that matters as a difference between a guitar and a shoe is that um, some years people want guitars, other, other years people want shoes. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what's in the box. Um, so, when you have very complicated dealings back and forth, however, then money is introduced. Um, now, the word money is the Greek word that Aristotle uses for money is a word which means something like um, legally established. The word um, oikonomos means the rule of a house. The word for money is nomisma in Greek, which means simply established by rule, things established by rule. And so what money means is what everyone accepts as valuable because it is, as a rule, taken to be valuable. And often it's the government that will do that. We'll talk about this. That is, a government um, will require you to pay taxes. And you need something you can pay taxes with. But the only thing governments will take for the payment of taxes is money. Again, in something like the Beverly Hillbillies or in lots of corny 1930s movies, you have farmers and people like that trying to pay their taxes in commodities. That is, I can't sell my grain this year and the government is taxing me, so I'm just going to give them 4,000 bushels of corn and that should satisfy them. And the government says, no, we don't want 4,000 bushels of corn. We want money. And um, so the fact that governments require money to pay taxes by itself makes money valuable. You have to pay your taxes or you're in trouble. The government will use force against you if you don't pay taxes. You have to pay taxes. And the only thing you can pay taxes with is money. So money is something that everyone needs in order to pay the government for um, what the, to pay the government's demands. So it's instituted by law in that sense. Nomismata means legal tender. People know what the term legal tender means? You all know the term, right? What does it mean? Authorized money. Authorized money. What does the word tender mean in legal tender? Anyone know? Do you know what it means to tender something to someone? No. So it's like when you're at a cashier, sometimes it says like amount tendered. Right. So it's like accepted? No, amount given. Know. Given? Yes. Given. 
So to tender someone, anyone know the line from Hamlet um, that Polonius has? This is the English part of this class uh, for right now. Um, Does anyone remember this Polonius talking to Ophelia? How many people have read Hamlet? Um, oh, you guys, we should read Hamlet in this class. Can I make it about money? Probably. Um, so um, Ophelia is talking to her father, Polonius. Um, Polonius um, is a kind of um, crazy uncle type father. Um, he is. He thinks really well of himself. He likes his wit. He's the one who famously says, brevity is the soul of wit. Um, and then he goes on for about um, three minutes about how you should be brief. He says, brevity is the soul of wit. Good, that's good. For to be brief, what is it? And then he starts um, uncle-splaining what being brief is. Um, and he goes on forever. So at any rate, he is talking to his daughter Ophelia, and he's worried that Ophelia is seeing too much of Hamlet. And... Um, Ophelia says no, but um, so he so he says, "What is between you? Give me up the truth." He says to her, "What's going on with you and Hamlet?" To Ophelia, "Give me up the truth." And Ophelia, who's always very honest with her father, says, "He hath, my lord, of late made many tenders of his affection to me." So, what do you think that means? He hath made many tenders of his affection to me. Yeah. Kind of many showings, like. Yeah, so many offerings of love, um, many and therefore many expressions of love. Polonius responds, affection, pooh, you speak like a green girl, unsifted in such perilous circumstance. Uh, so what's the perilous circumstance of an adolescent boy telling an adolescent girl that he loves her? What's the peril there? Um, that's the peril for him. What's the peril for her? Loss of virginity? Loss of virginity, um, yeah, exactly. Loss of virginity by someone who claims to love you but doesn't. So what's the Meat Love song? Um, dashboard Lights, what is it by the Dashboard Lights? Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Do you all know that song? Um, Sort of. It's, I heard of it. All right, Meatloaf keeps saying, or the, the narrator of the song keeps saying, um, he, he wants to sleep with her. Um, she's saying, you've got to promise that you'll love me till the end of time. Um, he says, let me sleep on it. Um, so let's have sex, and I'll think about whether I'll love, love you to the end of time. And she says, no, 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 uh, only if you promise to love me till the end of time. And he keeps, so the argument is, let me sleep on it, baby, baby, let me sleep on it. Um, and she keeps saying, no, 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 you have to promise um, before we have sex. And so finally he promises, and the punchline of the song, the last line of the song is, anyone? Ian, do you know? Wait for the end of time. Now I'm waiting for the right. Yeah. Um, so now he's waiting for the end of time. Um, so the point is, what Polonius is saying is, boys, in order to have sex, will say things that they don't, that are not actually true about how much they um, love the girls that they are claiming to love. When they don't, they just want to have sex with them. So you have to be careful, is what Polonius is saying to Ophelia. Um, and that's why he says, 
you speak like a green girl unsifted in such perilous circumstance. Later, she's going to sing a song where it shows that she understands that. Um, she says, um, um, here, I'll read it to you. Um, this is when she goes mad. Um, and she's singing mad songs. And here's a song she sings. Tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day, all in the morning betime, and I a maid at your window to be your valentine. Then up he rose and donned his clothes and dupped the chamber door, that is, opened the chamber door, let in the maid that out a maid never departed more. So what does that mean? She let in the maid that out a maid never departed more. What's it mean? Why didn't she depart a maid? Yeah. She lost her virginity. She lost her virginity. So she went into his chamber as a virgin, as a maid, um, but she left his chamber not as a maid anymore. So she let in, so he let in the maid that out a maid never departed more. And then she goes on, by gifts and by Saint Charity, alack, and fie for shame, young men will do it if they come to it. By cock they are to blame. So that's um, reasonably obscene. By cock they are to blame. Quoth she, before you tumbled me, you promised me to wed. So she said to him, you, you said you would marry me before we had sex. That's why I did it. Quoth she, before you tumbled me, you promised me to wed. And his answer is, so what I have done by yonder son if thou hadst not come to my bed. So basically, um, she is willing to have sex with him because he promises to wed her, but now that um, she has had sex with him, he's not going to wed her. Um, and that is um, the unhappy um, story that Polonius wants Ophelia herself to avoid. So you are unsifted. You speak like someone who doesn't know this. Do you believe his tenders as you call them? That is, again, his expressions of love. Ophelia, I do not know, my lord, what I should think. Polonius, Mary, I'll teach you. Think yourself a baby that you have taken these tenders for true pay. So their tenders means promises, expressions of love, but you should think that you're a baby and that you believe his IOUs, which he's tendered you, as true pay, as real money which are not sterling, so that you have taken these tenders for true pay, these tenders which are not sterling. What does sterling mean? Sterling silver, pure silver. Um, pound sterling, do you know why, that, why British money is called pound sterling? Yeah, because they used to use the silver standard. So a one pound sterling used to be what a pound of silver was worth. Not anymore, not remotely. But once upon a time, the reason it's called a pound is that it was a pound of silver. The value of a one-pound note was a pound of silver. This was way back in the day when a, one, when, um, a house cost something like 20 pounds. Um, so um, you've taken these which are not ster um, sterling. Tender yourself more dearly. He then keeps punning on the word tender. Tender yourself more deal dearly, which means consider yourself more dearly. Or not to crack 
the wind of the poor phrase running it thus, so now he's um, enjoying himself punning on the word tender, but if you don't tender yourself more dearly, dearly, if you're not better to yourself, if you don't treat yourself as being more valuable, he says, um, if you believe Lord Hamlet and you don't um, tender yourself dearly, you'll tender me a fool. So the word fool there means newborn baby. So unless you're careful, you're going to produce tender to um, you're going to produce an offering to me, namely of a grandchild that I do not want, while you are not married. So um, that idea of tender is um, a cash tender, or when tender is offered, it means that you are paying something. Legal tender, therefore, means money or a or um, a, a token or a coin or an instrument which is legal, which is um, guaranteed to be sterling, not in the tech, not in the literal sense of silver, but um, to be valuable. So if something says this note is legal tender, which is what it says on, um, on paper money, the idea is that you can use that money and the government will back it up. That's what makes it legal tender. Um, and can be used for the payment of all debts, public and private. I don't think it says that on notes anymore, but it used to say on, um, if you find older money, it will say, I bet I can get it on Google Images, and we have a minute. Um, are you looking at money? Yeah. Okay, I don't think it says that anymore, all debts, public and private. Um, yes, it oh, it does. Read it. Read it. Oh, yeah, not on a dollar bill. That's where it doesn't say it anymore. Yeah. This note is legal tender for all debts. Yeah. Um, so that means that you can pay any debt you want with paper money, and the U.S. government will back it up. If you go to um, a restaurant or on an airplane or go to a store that doesn't accept cash, um, I think that's actually technically illegal. Yeah. yeah. No, no, but there has been some argument about whether that's legal or not, um, that it's, if it's a credit or debit card only type of place. Do you guys ever go to places like that? Um, they're, they're, they're more and more frequent. Um, there is a restaurant I went to in New York um, that uh, we sat down and ordered, and then we noticed that there was a big thing. So you, it used to be that you would ask, do you take credit cards? Now you can ask, do you take cash? And there's a big sign saying, this is a cashless res restaurant. You have to pay with credit cards. Um, so we skipped. Um, but the, um, that's the idea, is that the government is backing it up. And it's what you pay your taxes to the government with. OK, tomorrow, King Midas. Um, bring in, um, as Joseph did, um, bring in the handouts. Um, print them out if you need to. And see you tomorrow.